Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Mishpatim, Rulings. The address is Shemot, Exodus, chapter 21, verse 1, through chapter 24, verse 18. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman. Note that all quotations are taken from the Complete Jewish Bible Translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. The written commentary was updated on February 3rd of 2006. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol ha'amim, v'natan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha-Torah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples, and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, our portion this week is known as Mishpatim, and the word is quite adequately translated as rulings. And it actually stems from the root word Shafat, which means to establish, to reduce, to bring, to ordain, or to set on. We um, gain a few other familiar Hebrew words from this stem, Shafat. We get um, shofat, which means judge, and its plural is shoftim, which is in fact the Hebrew name of the book of Judges in the Bible. Um, the uh, name Jehoshaphat, I'm sure you've heard that before, uh, if you're familiar with reading the Bible, Jehoshaphat, or the Hebrew uh, Jehoshaphat, is a combination of this root word, shofat, with one of the Hebrew names for God, Yah. In my opinion, it's important to know um, as we study the Torah, uh, to realize where different word stems uh, or words stem from, um, because in doing so, knowing the root word can help us to better determine the correct meanings of subsequent words. If we know the root, then we can derive the um, conjugations from uh, the root word that we know. I encourage you, the reader or the listener, the Bible student would be, um, I encourage you to invest in a good biblical concordance or lexicon. Uh, some type of a Bible dictionary. Um, something that will help you look up root words from time to time when you're doing your word studies or doing your Bible studies, okay? These are study aids, by the way, which help to provide the root words to the texts as we've had it translated. Um, again, Strong's Concordance, um, Knave's Concordance, Topical Concordance, um, Young's Literal Concordance, uh, the Theological Word Book of the Old Testament, Theological Word Book of the New Testament, uh, Brown, Driver, Briggs, Jacinius Lexicon. Just, just some various tools that I encourage you to uh, gather to yourself if you are serious about your Bible study. 
Anyway, our parasha follows four separate chapters, 21, 22, 23, and 24. Accordingly, we shall examine today each chapter individually and mine it for its spiritual nourishment. Now, the dramatic shift in the text uh, from narrative to verbal imperative signals what I might call the end of the honeymoon. Um, if you remember, um, up to this point, we've had more or less prose running, um, uh, explaining that you know children of Israel have been uh, on more or less like an adventure. Uh, they're in Egypt, they're in slavery, Moshe comes, he challenges the Pharaoh, God sends the plagues, the people are um, set free from Egypt, uh, only, be, only to be pursued by the Pharaoh and his armies. They reach the Red Sea, they're trapped, Moshe uh, splits the sea with his staff, the people cross through on dry land, uh, Pharaoh uh, pursues, God closes the sea in on, on top of them, and the children of Israel uh, are free from Egypt in that sense, legally and forever. And then um, they're in the desert and they make their way to um, Mount Sinai where, the, where God gives them the ten words. And that's where we left off. And now that the um, covenant, so to say, has been, um, oh, how, what would you say, it, it, it's been enacted of sorts. Um, now the people are getting the brunt or the bulk of some more of the, uh, um, the teachings of Hashem, the Torah, uh, the commandments. And they are being instructed on how to live. Because, in fact, at this point, um, they have committed themselves to the Lord. Remember what they said in chapter 19? <clears throat> All that you have said we will do. Thus, um, covenantally binding themselves to the words and the ways of Hashem. So, thus, Hashem now um, spells out some of the stipulations of what it means to be a covenant partner with God. And here's where we find ourselves with these mishpatim. So, um, our family of, of ex-slaves, you could say has witnessed the thunders, the voices, the lightning, the smoke, and the fire of the Holy One, and they received the initial ten words, the Ten Commandments. And now they're ready to receive the rest of the Torah. The ten words themselves are kind of like the comprehensive summary of the Torah. They're not the entire Torah, but they kind of represent the... Um, um, they represent the, the, uh, the, the, the comprehensive summary of walking in God's ways as as kind of broken down into ten um, commandments. And so, um, although not uh, covering every single aspect of life, the rest of the Torah comes along and provides greater detail uh, as to how to treat uh, their neighbor fairly, how to set up government, establish um, uh, a system of fair, just weights and measures. Um, later on, we're going to see how they learn how to uh, build a tabernacle for Hashem so that he may dwell among them. And eventually they even have laws governing priests and sacrifices. But um, this is where we find ourselves in the Torah. The change is really dramatic if you think about it. For we go from simple, somewhat general instructions in the ten words, um, you know, love your neighbor, um, <clears throat> don't commit adultery, uh, don't murder. We, we, we go from general instructions to very specific guidelines that are meant to shape the people into a nation. God was building a nation. He was uh, um, calling together a people, not for the express purpose of just setting them free from Egypt and, and so that they can kind of go off on their own. Rather, as he promised Abraham, um, he's going to bless the entire world through the chosen peoples of Israel. And uh, this Torah would serve to shape the the moral attitude and the spiritual um, uh, how should we say 
uh, fortitude of the people. The Torah would serve as their uh, covenant document that would set them apart from the entire world, apart from the world's ways, apart from the world's systems, apart from the, um, the dangers of the world. So the Torah really is, is a good thing in this case. It's always been a good thing. Um, but whenever the people uh, misuse Torah, misunderstand Torah, then it can turn around and bite them. Because as we're going to find out, um, not only are we getting details as to what to do um, to approach God and to approach uh, each other or to, to deal fairly with each other, but what we're also going to see is that there have become uh, consequences for disobedience spelled out in the Torah. And God now, under covenant oath, can uh, enumerate the various punishments uh, what will happen to the people if they fail to follow all of God's words and ways. So, it's it really interesting. Um, in a way, this marks the beginning of the Torah as a national constitution, because, it's, again, uh, the people of Israel are turning into a nation of people. Truly, these next few chapters could be called law uh, or instruction. I know some of some people have an aversion to the term law when dealing with the um, the Torah itself. Much of the Torah is teaching. In fact, the, the, the Hebrew word Torah stems from the word, root word yara, which means to, uh, which, which carries the, the idea of instructing. Uh, uh, it's an archery term, actually. We get the Hebrew word moreh, which means teacher, from this root word yara. We also get the word Torah, which is better translated as teaching or instruction. But the Torah does contain uh, legal codes. It does have um, uh, case law uh, and... Uh, things like that. So we are going to see that. Truly, these next few chapters could be called law, and for this reason, I've included a detailed excursus in this commentary today called, quote, the law at the end of this commentary. All right, so stay tuned for that. It's probably going to be another two-parter uh, broken down into about 30 minutes and 30 minutes. But before I delve into each chapter, um, I want to briefly restate one of the primary functions and purposes of the giving of the Torah to Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. Now, of course, I'm drawing this um, purpose from my 21st century uh, messianic hindsight, looking back down through history and where we are at today, where the Messiah has already come and the um, Gentiles have already been grafted into Israel and such, um, using my uh, knowledge of, of what has already transpired, I want to look back at the Torah at this point and draw some um, conclusions. I believe that as we study the Torah, even though we don't see it spelled out um, in the terms that we would be more comfortable with, but I believe that it is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a, may, as a way of making someone righteous, uh, that is to say forensically righteous or um, imputed righteousness. This only achieves its goal when the person by faith accepts that Yeshua is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. So um, the Torah is going to begin to build uh, into this idea that the, the deliverer was going to come to Israel. He is to be born of Israel and he is to redeem Israel ultimately from their sins and ultimately is going to place them in a position of um, prestige and preeminence among all the other nations of the world. But Israel must place their faith in this promised Messiah to come, this promised seed to come. It's really the seed promise or the seed um, covenant uh, that God has made with Abraham so long ago. In fact, it really started in Genesis 3.15 where God said to Eve that um, 
um, there will be enmity between your seed and the, the serpent's seed. So um, until the individual of the Torah reaches this conclusion, his familiarity of the Torah is only so much intellectual nutrition. Um, only by believing in Yeshua will the person be able to properly understand Hashem and consequently properly understand his word. So, um, what are we to make of of the instructions uh, as they stand today? Um, the Torah has not changed. Even though the Messiah has come, um, those who have not yet... Um, those who have not yet come to faith in Yeshua or uh, made the decision for God in this manner, the Torah still serves this purpose. And nowhere is this more true than in the Jewish communities of today who have yet to openly embrace Messiah Yeshua as the one spoken about in the Torah and the prophets and the writings. So we as the grafted-in Gentiles, the, the, a.k.a. the church, we need not... Um, we need not. Uh, what's the word I want to use? We need not um, um, f speculate as to the uh, uh, validity of the Torah uh, in the life of the community of Israel. Um, to suggest that the Torah has been uprooted or done away with or suppressed or or something to that effect is a lesson in foolishness because the Torah always serves to point the individual towards the teacher of righteousness which of course is Messiah of course we recognize him as Yeshua so we need not remove the signposts for the people who are still on the journey that is not a wise decision on our part to suggest for the last well, I don't know 19 or 2,000 years 1900 or 2,000 years that the Torah has been done away with I think it's a grave error and uh, does a lot of damage to the Jewish community in um, helping to bring them to see the Messiah okay let's continue that the Torah serves to point the individual towards the Messiah is something that I really want um, you, the reader and the listener, to internalize, especially as we continue in our ongoing study of the weekly portions. Don't ever fall for the ages-old lie that the Torah was given to Israel simply to give them some sort of um, meritorious salvation or to earn them special favor with God. The Torah was... Um, the, one of the best tools that Hashem has ever used to bring the people of Israel to the place where they would place their unreserved trust in God, which would ultimately culminate in their acceptance of the Messiah who was to come. And so, as we read the Torah and we get to the parts where God says do this and don't do that, um, and we don't readily see the Messiah in the do's and don'ts, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that the text is a messianic tool. Um... The do's and don'ts can sometimes hide the fact that God is uh, uh, preserving the mental, moral, spiritual um, uh, condition of the peoples so that they will be uh, ready to receive the Messiah when the Father sends the Spirit among them so that they can understand who the Messiah is. The Torah is, is to be understood as a, as a whole in bringing the child of Hashem into the full knowledge and understanding of the Father through the Son. Um, God, from the very beginning, has desired to repair the broken relationship that happened in the garden. Um, man was separated from God. And God then set out on a plan to, to redeem man back to himself. 
ultimately we know that um, this redemption would find its fullness in the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Yeshua. So the Torah is like a giant spotlight pointing and guiding humanity towards that ultimate end. And even after the Messiah comes, the Torah continues to point towards that historical reality that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming to the world to bear the sin of mankind and to consequently repair the uh, broken relationship uh, between man and God. So, Jesus is the key and the Torah is the tool to point us towards this Savior that we're, that each and every one of us ultimately need. So to this end, many of the various do's and don'ts serve to safeguard us as we walk out a relationship with our Holy God. There is a relationship that starts when we put on the Torah, even before we know who the Messiah is or even fully know who God is. But the putting on of Torah, the walking out in His ways, is meant to, again, keep us on the path which leads to the Messiah. It's not the doing of the commandments that will lead us to the Messiah, at least not in a perfunctory manner. Rather, the doing of the commandments is the safeguarding of our very lifestyle so that um, God can and does take us by the hand and lead us to the teacher of righteousness, um, Yeshua himself. So, don't get this confused as we... Um, see the do's and don'ts. God does not bless wickedness. God blesses righteousness. And the Torah becomes the guideline or the blueprint for holy living, both before we meet Yeshua as well as after we come to accept Him. Okay? Allow me to elaborate um, just a bit on this notion um, in, in my commentary. Before we came into the full knowledge of the redemption provided by our, by our Messiah Yeshua, before we were saved, we were probably living a life devoid of any real spiritual nourishment. Um, I'm speaking more or less from a Western, Western mindset now. Um, well, to be honest, I guess this would be true of ancient Israel as well. Um, many former believers, at least in our, our circles, for instance, like in America, um, we may not have been raised in a Christian home where the name of God was mentioned frequently, at least as much as it should have been. Uh, consequently, the Torah was probably a stranger to us. Um, how many of you listening to my podcast and I can identify, um, whereas now you have come to faith in Yeshua, um, and to the best of your ability and under the power of the Spirit, you walk a Torah-obedient life, or you, you walk according to the teachings of the Bible. But growing up, you didn't have such a um, an upbringing. That happens with many of us, such as in the case of Western civilization. Often our formative years are spent doing what? Watching TV, playing video games as kids, you know, hanging out with our friends, going to the mall, just generally having fun. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Um, but uh, when comparing this to, for instance, the average life of the ancient Israelite, um, we'll see that this was not the case. Um, Hashem masterfully designed His Torah to permeate every single facet of human existence from birth to the grave. That's how he designed the Torah. And his people back then, as well as today, are to saturate themselves with his rich mercy, his grace, his loving kindness, his forgiveness, and, at times, his correction and his judgment as they carefully followed each and every mitzvah, every commandment of the Torah. See, God wanted to play an important role in every aspect of life. Everywhere the ancient Israelite turned, God was to be there, from their diet 
to their festivals, their holidays, the times that they met together, um, the uh, time that they uh, walked on the road when they sat in their home, um, when they were schooling their children uh, in court matters of, of, of dealing with each other in court, um, as well as, of course, worship. Everything was to have God's um, fingerprint on it. And in such a way, the Torah tried to uh, really speak to every human experience. Um, being raised in such a Torah community, y you could say, at least the way I'm describing it, um, being raised in such a community had its definite advantages. This type of community produced a positive atmosphere whereby the children grew up immersed in the truths of God's ways as they studied um, the festivals, learned about the feasts of the Lord, um, learned about the dietary restrictions, what to eat and what not to eat, and learned why. Um, after all, the, not only was instructions given from the priests that we're going to read about in Leviticus, but um, the elders of the people, in fact the parents themselves, were responsible for handing this information down to the successive generations. And so um, the children grew up immersed in the truths of the Torah as they observed the rest of the community. Everyone participated or was expected to participate in the feasts, the holy convocations, year after year as a family. Okay, We can actually see this in the life of Yeshua when he and his family were going up to Jerusalem um, during, uh, I, I think it was during one of the festivals. And at any rate, um, they uh, got separated. Yeshua and his parents got separated from one another so that his parents had already started back towards their home. And you know, a couple of days out, they realized, you know what, where's where's Yeshua? And of course, Yeshua was only tw 12 or 13 at this time. And so they t hit or, turn around and go back. They find him in the temple as a young boy. And he's doing what? What's he doing there? He's conversing with the scribes and the rabbis and the, and the Torah teachers. So we see that uh, uh, my point in bringing out this story, which of course is recorded for us in the Gospel narratives, is that Yeshua was there during the family... Um, how should we call them vacations um the fa <laughs> the family outings and that's the way it should have been um as far as children is concerned this instilled in them godly principles which formed what the seed bed for the life of faith and witness that hashem called them to perform in other words in this environment hashem could uh, more easily move into their lives in a personal way and eventually reveal to them the Messiah to come. This lifestyle, however, did not save them automatically. There's no such thing as corporate forensic righteousness. Just because they walked out the Torah as, as a community did not mean that they are automatically saved. No, this lifestyle served to prepare them to meet the true teacher of righteousness, the Messiah. And as they reached the age of accountability, this became more and more um, prevalent. Uh, or became more and more evident, I should say. In this way, the renewed covenant that we read about teaches that the Torah acted as a custodian or a schoolmaster. You can read Galatians 3, uh, 24th and 25 for the language that I'm using there, the Torah acting as a, a tutor for the boy. And if you go and read the rest of the, uh, Paul's um, passage there, you'll see that once we reach the age where a conscious decision could be made, the Torah should have presented us, the child, with the proper framework to make the right decision. And what was that 
um, decision that we should have made? Trusting faithfulness in Hashem as demonstrated through our dependency in His means of provision, namely, His Son, Yeshua. You see how that works? The Torah is a beautiful tool in the hands of, of, of God the Father. Um, <clears throat> this faithful lifestyle is magnificently portrayed in the covenants that the people have experienced thus far. So let me just draw some um, illusions from the two covenants that we have already experienced. Of course, I'm speaking of the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant that we are now um, getting our first peek at. I want to um, use a lengthy quote from a few friends of mine, R.L. and Devorah Berkowitz. Um, they have a book out called Torah Rediscovered. Um, about 10 years ago, it was published by FFOZ. Um, <clears throat> on page 32 and 33, uh, here's what they have to say under the heading, quote, a summary of the purposes of these two covenants. All right? The following explanation was taken from Torah Rediscovered uh, by Ariel Devorah Berkowitz, FFOZ publications. The book, by the way, is no longer published by First Fruits of Zion. I believe it's published now by Shorshim Publications. Ariel has recently written to me um, a few weeks back and requested that I uh, make that information known to my listeners and to my readers. Okay, If you want to get the information uh, as to how to get the book, um, go ahead and send me an email at the uh, commentary email here, yeshua613 and hotmail.com. I will forward the information straight over to Ariel uh, Berkowitz and um, let him know that you're interested in getting the Torah Rediscovered book. Because again, as I mentioned, it is not available from FFOZ Publications. Anyway, here's the quote, alright? Quote, <clears throat> A person cannot appropriate the full blessings of the covenant with Moshe, the Torah, unless he first enters into the covenant with Abraham. The latter is done by faith and faith alone. The covenant of promise through Abraham gave Israel the physical promises. Not only are these physical promises a reality, they are also pictures of the spiritual relationship we have with Hashem. Moreover, they are illustrative of the spiritual promises of inheritance obtained by all believers through faith in Yeshua. They go on to say, quote, For those who trust Hashem for the promises, the proper order for faith and obedience is set by the sequence in which the covenants were given. In other words, faith must precede obedience. But the kind of faith accepted by Hashem is one that naturally flows into obedience. True obedience never comes before faith, nor is it an addition to faith. It is always the result of true biblical faith. To rephrase this in terms of the covenants, the covenant of promise with Avraham must come before the covenant of obedience, which is Moshe. If we were to put Moshe first, attempting to secure those promises by obedience, we would be going against Hashem's order. This, by the way, is the key to unlocking the difficult midrash used by Shaul in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. All we could hope for would be a measure of physical protection and a knowledge of spiritual things. But we could not receive justification or a personal relationship with the Holy One through obedience to the Torah. It all had to start with faith. They go on to conclude, quote, Avraham came before Moshe, but Moshe did not cancel out Avraham. The two complemented each other as long as they came in the proper order, 
end quote. Again, I lifted that from pages 32 and 33 of Torah Rediscovered by um, the Berkowitzes. So, after having listened to the uh, very, very well um, articulated explanation, um, bringing the relationship of the two covenants um, to our attention, what are we to make of that? What does this mean for the Jew, especially, as well as the Gentile today? Well, my opinion, apart from being a well-reasoned theological argument for combating legalism, the concept taught here defines our identity as not only being grounded in the Torah, but it is who we are in the Messiah. If the um, blood of the sinless one has redeemed us from sin and unrighteousness, and of course he has, then we now have been clothed in his holiness. We now have a new identity as sons and daughters. And what is that identity? FFOZ has stated it well. We are the righteousness of Hashem in Messiah. Isn't that fantastic? The old man has died with the death of our Messiah. The new man has been raised unto life everlasting, just like the Messiah was raised to life. Of course, you can reference 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17-21 through 21 to see those truths. And all of these promises, what I'm trying to get you to see today, all of these promises are given to us and secured for us within the pages of God's wonderful Torah. That's why His Word is so important for us today. We dare not neglect the reading and the study of it because the promises that Yeshua speaks about are promises that the Father has made to His people and they are available to anyone who will step into true and genuine faith. Having established that foundation, we the students are now ready to get our first glimpse at some of the Torah's very first official do's and don'ts. Alright? Of course, as they're spelled out to the community, now we're looking at history. We're reading um, things that God is explaining to them. And in some cases, we can make application. And of course, in other cases, we cannot. The, um, the first application is for the people. And as we study and seek to understand what it meant to them, only then, after we understand or, or even grasp, can we hope to begin to make application for us today. Space does not permit me to, commit, uh, to comment on each and every ruling that we're going to read. Um, I'll instead focus on primarily a, a, a few within each chapter, pausing long enough to provide uh, my own messianic commentary. Okay, you ready? Here we go.